Good morning. My name is Tyler St. Clair. I pastor a little church plant in the beautiful city of Detroit, Michigan. I was, I was expecting something. <laughs> something. Um, and you may not know this, but we are a grandchild church of Riv, and I just want to thank you for your continued partnership in the gospel, your continued uh, love and support as we seek to make much of Jesus on the northwest side of the most amazing city in the entire world. Um, I know we've prayed several times this morning, but it's always my custom to pray before I break the bread of life. Father, um, if you do not speak, this is just wasted time. Um, If your spirit does not move, uh, if you don't open our hearts and open our minds, uh, this is just a long TED Talk. Uh, Father, we ask that you do a work in all of our hearts, all of our minds, that we see Jesus clearly, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Father, be glorified, and we pray that your people are edified. We pray this in Jesus' holy, matchless, and victorious name. Amen. And, um, so we're continuing to go through uh, Mark's gospel. In, uh, in full disclosure, I-, I struggled all week to uh, find an introduction to this passage. I, I struggled because this passage uh, is so weighty. I couldn't come up with anything cute or uh, a piffy for such a weighty passage. Passages like these um, kind of remind me of when I put alcohol on my child's wound or when I snatch a Band-Aid out. I had a child who had a wiggly tooth a couple uh, weeks ago. I said, just let me snatch it out. Uh, she, she, she wanted to suffer all day long and complain about it. I said, if I could take care of it in less than 10 seconds. But the end of, end of Mark 9, the Lord Jesus gave his disciples, and in us today, a lesson on the severity and the consequences of sin. My main idea is sin is serious. Sin separates people from God, and Jesus is the only solution for our sin. Sin is serious. Sin separates people from God, and Jesus is the only solution for our sin. Let's, let's jump right in. Mark chapter 9, verse 38. John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he wasn't following us. Right off the bat, we, we notice that John is operating as the, uh, the unofficial steward of the unions, of the disciples' union. We, we see that he's speaking on behalf of all of them. He, he says that we saw and we tried to stop. This statement is in, indicative of how all or most of them felt. Now, the context of this is crucial because uh, it, it shows us just how off base they were. The disciples were on a pretty bad losing streak. First, earlier in uh, Mark 9, they failed miserably at casting out a demon, and Jesus had to come rescue them. Secondly, Jesus had to break up a fight. They were bickering and arguing about who was going to be greatest in the kingdom. 
And now John and company continue to dig the hole even deeper. This phrase, uh, because he wasn't following us, does not mean that this man was wrong. This does not mean that this man was not following Jesus. This man was attempting to cast out a demon in the name of Jesus. So more, than, more likely than not, he was a follower of Christ. Luke 10 tells us that Jesus commissioned 70 men to go out two by two, casting out demons and healing the sick. So it's likely that he was one of those followers. However, John, who was painted often meek and mild-tempered and humble, is exhibiting some pretty ugly elitism here. Now, remember this. The reality is when we read the Bible, we are looking in the mirror. When we read Scripture, Scripture is a reflection on us. To be very honest, if I could be frank, because I feel at home. I'm here very often. I feel at home. Uh, this divisive spirit that John and the disciples are displaying is rampant in the church of Jesus Christ today. Instead of fighting for unity and fighting to maintain unity, the, the unity that the, the Lord Jesus bought with his very own blood, many believers are dividing up and I'm pro this and I'm anti that. Instead of connecting like Voltron, those over 35 will get that reference. Uh, instead of connecting like Voltron to evangelize the lost all around us, we're too busy critiquing criticizing and questioning other believers' motives. John's tone was as if he was seeking some affirmation from Jesus. However, the Lord Jesus was not too pleased. Listen to what Jesus said. Verse 39, don't stop him, said Jesus, because there is no one who will perform a miracle in my name who can soon afterwards speak evil of me. For whoever is not against us is for us. And whoever gives you a cup of water to drink in my name because you belong to Christ, truly I tell you, he will never lose his reward. Don't stop him. What is crazy is, is, is Jesus had to correct John and the rest of the disciples of the same self-importance, the same uh, exclusionary practices of the Pharisees and the scribes. Don't miss what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, if someone is preaching my name, if, if someone is declaring my gospel, if someone is uh, working for me, if someone is uh, producing fruit of the gospel, leave them alone. We don't need your critiques. We don't need your criticism. Well, you know, I would do it a different way. Well, I, I, I need to know their view on the Antichrist. I need to know where they fall on the end times. I need to know where they fall on their political leanings. If you are concerned about somebody, if you're concerned about something you see, pray for that person, or better yet, seek to build them up, not tear them down. If a person is, is producing clear evidence of following Jesus, they belong to Jesus, whether we like it or not. Verse 40 is so key. 
Whoever is not against us is for us. Jesus is stressing the, 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 the advancement of his eternal kingdom and his cosmic agenda is so much greater than our labels. It's all about Jesus. It's all about his cosmic agenda. It's about, all about his eternal kingdom, not our self-created exclusive clubs. Y'all quiet this morning. <laughs> I haven't even got to the hard part. <laughs> Many have allowed slight doctrinal differences, cultural things, ethnic differences to separate us in the kingdom, to separate you from people you're going to spend all eternity with. Minor differences should not cause major division in the church of Jesus Christ. Major, excuse me, minor differences should not cause major division and fractures in Christ's kingdom. I love verse 41. The Lord says, if someone does something as small as give you a glass of water, in his name they will be rewarded. Isn't that encouraging? Isn't that encouraging? The Lord Jesus sees everything you do, no matter how small it may be, he sees it, and it slowly contributes to advancing his kingdom. Every act of service, every act of volunteering, every moment you give moves the cause of Christ forward and pleases our King. It could be serving in your local church. I'm always encouraged when I come here and I see people all over the place serving the body of Christ. It could be serving your local church. It could be sharing the gospel. It could be blessing someone in need. It could be ministering to someone who's in a season of suffering and struggle. That little act of service pleases the Lord Jesus Christ and moves the kingdom forward. This week, find tangible ways you can bless and serve others in the name of Jesus. Now, Jesus takes a bit of a, a turn in this teaching session and begins to speak about the gravity, the, the severity of sin. Verse 42. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to fall away it would be better for him if a heavy millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. This statement here totally debunks a, a one-sided, one-sided view of Jesus many people possess. Many people equate Jesus only with love, graciousness, kindness, uh, and even tolerance to sin. However, Jesus, King Jesus, the, the real Jesus, not, not the caricature, King Jesus, King Christ, the, the Messiah, is, is not passive or indifferent to sin. In fact, Jesus hates sin so deeply, along with loving us so much, he went to the cross to rectify our sin problem. Yes, he's loving. Yes, he's kind. Yes, he's gracious. Yes, he's the lamb, but he's also the lion. He hates sin. He is a holy judge. 
and he's righteous in every way. With this, with this, this, this uh, uh, illustration of this millstone, Jesus is communicating that our actions matter. Our actions have e eternal ramifications on those around us. Our words, uh, uh, how we speak to people, the tone in which we speak to people, our actions, our lives are, are either pointing people to Jesus or away from him. This phrase, falling away or stumbling, in some translations, uh, it, it refers to either causing people to doubt Jesus or in, actually influencing people to sin. You can bring doubt and, and blurriness, and people can be uh, confused on the things of God, the gospel, who God is, if they see a raggedy, shabby representation of a Christian. These little ones Jesus is referring to uh, could actually be little children, but it, it could also be those who are lacking in experience and lacking in knowledge or the spiritually immature. This refers to someone who is immature, weak, or vulnerable. I believe that when Jesus is using this reference, I, I believe he's actually referring to the man that John attempted to stop from casting out the demon. John's sin could have actually caused this brother to stumble in his faith. Please hear this. We do not sin in isolation. We do not sin in isolation. Others around us are collateral damage for our sin. If I lead my children poorly, if I don't shepherd my wife, if, if, if I sin against brothers and sisters in my congregation, if my life does not align with the gospel, if, if I don't live a life of repentance, there will be massive consequences. Again, what we say, what we do affects others. Back then, this punishment Jesus was referring to, having a, a giant millstone tied around, around your neck and thrown in the sea, this was reserved for the very worst criminals. This, this was reserved for people who committed acts of treason against the Roman Empire, the worst of the worst. Jesus is communicating that sin is serious. Now, let me be clear. You can't make anyone sin. You, you cannot make anyone uh, a sin, or you can't make anyone fall away. But what Jesus is saying is my actions, my words, uh, and the life I lead can cause those who, are, who spiritually uh, uh, compromise to fall away from him. If the little ones around you, those who are spiritually vulnerable, those who are spiritually immature, those who have not grown to a, a high stature, stature in Christ, if they followed your life, would they fall in sin or would they fall at the feet of the Savior? The reality is someone is watching you. Someone is watching me. Someone is following your actions. Someone is listening to your speech. They want to hear if what you say and how you live line up with the gospel. Of course, not perfectly. We all are works in progress. But what will they see? 
Will they see Jesus? Will, will they hear the grace of God flowing from your lips? Will, will they, will they uh, receive a kind, gracious response? Yes, people can stumble because of us. But the flip side is true. Uh, uh, the, the flip side is true as well. People can stumble because of us, but people can also walk and run towards Jesus. Our actions and our lives can bring people down, but the flip side, the reverse is true. We can lift them up. Jesus put it this way in Matthew 5. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Yes, we can cause people to stumble, but if we live lives that represent Jesus well, we can point people to him. Is your life pointing people to Jesus? Or is it pointing people in the opposite direction? Jesus shifts focus again. He moves from causing uh, people to stumble to your own personal stumbling. Verse 43. Mark 9, 43. If your hand causes you to fall away, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than to have two hands and to go to hell the unquenchable fire. If your foot causes you to fall away, cut it off. It is better for you to enter lame than to have two feet and to be thrown into hell. Verse 47, and if your eye causes you to fall away, gouge it out. For it is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and to be thrown into hell where their worms do not die. And the fire is not quenched. Well, that escalated very quickly. <laughs> John was just like, Jesus, I just asked you a simple question. Can you imagine? <laughs> John was just like, well, he just asked a simple question and Jesus turns to chopping off body parts. I know John was like, well, I, next time I'm just going to keep my questions to myself. Here Jesus, Jesus uses very uh, graphic imagery to drive home the severity of sin. This, this phrase, fall away, means the cause to sin. Before, before I move on, uh, let, let me give a quick definition for sin. The, the, the word sin, it actually came from the, world of, the, word of, um, the world of archery, which means to miss the mark. Bruce Ware defines sin as a lack of conformity, active or passive, to the moral law of God. This may be a matter of act or thought or even inner disposition. Paul Carter says sin is behaving in a way that does not conform to God's character or commands. It's about crossing the line, the lines that have been laid down by God. Sin is thus rebellion and distrust. Family, the reality is sin, going all the way back to the garden with our forefather Adam, has reigned in the hearts of man. David said it this way. David fell. David fell into great sin with, with Bathsheba. And he wrote uh, uh, Psalm 51. He says, I was born in sin, shaped in iniquity, each and every one of us was born with the same disease, the same uh, 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 disease plagues each and every one of us, sin. 
We all have this, this propensity to miss the mark. Now, jump back to Mark 9. Remember who Jesus is speaking to. Jesus isn't talking to a multitude. Jesus is not talking to the crowd. He's not talking to the scribes, the Pharisees. Jesus is speaking to his disciples, those who follow him. The good teacher continually saw how their hearts uh, were manifesting actions, and he had to address it. Jesus uses extreme, graphic, uh, drastic imagery to show the consequences of sin. One quick observation. Notice where Jesus lays the responsibility for sin. He lays it squarely at our feet. Your hand, your eye, your feet. While Satan brings temptation and other people can push our buttons and Satan can even use other people as pawns, we are completely responsible for our sin. Sin begins in our heart and flows out. So how do we respond? How, as a, I'm talking to Christ followers, how as a Christ follower should we respond to our sin. Listen to Romans 6. Romans 6. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desire and do not offer any of your part, excuse me, and do not offer any parts of it uh, to sin as a weapon of unrighteousness, but as those who are alive from the dead, offer yourselves to God and all your parts, excuse me, and all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons for unrighteous as weapons for righteousness excuse me verse 14 for sin will not rule over you because you are no longer under the law but under grace did you catch that but as those who are alive from the dead those who Jesus has resurrected from the dead we are to offer our lives to God and all the parts of yourselves to God as weapons of righteousness the reality is we are no longer dead to sin because we are alive in Christ. We are no longer slaves to sin. We are no longer slaves to Satan because we've been liberated by the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 14 says, for sin will not rule over you. Why? Because you are not under the law, but under grace. If you have received Jesus Christ, if you have surrendered to him, sin is no longer your master. He is. We belong to the Lord Jesus. Jesus destroyed the power of sin, the rule of sin. He destroyed that in our lives with his cross and empty tomb. And now we are under grace. Since our new reality is uh, being united with Christ, Belonging to Christ, being under grace, we are to use our bodies to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. We are to present our bodies as weapons of righteousness instead of sin. Romans 12, 1. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. 
The only proper response to the mercies of God, the, the, the only uh, proper response to what we've received in Jesus is to present our bodies to Christ instead of sin. Since the body of the Lord Jesus Christ was broken to redeem us, we joyfully offer ourselves to him. Now again, just so I'm clear, and there's no emails or experiments when you get back home, Jesus is not calling believers to mutilation of their bodies. But rather, Jesus is communicating that we show sin no mercy. We show sin no mercy. I don't remember what author it was. He says, sin is not, a, is not a, 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 a pet that we preserve and a pet that we coddle. It is a beast that we slay. Contrary to what Satan is telling you and, and contrary to what you want to believe yourself, very often we think we're under the deception of Satan. We are deceiving ourselves. But that's another sermon for another day. I might come back. Uh, no sin is small. No sin is insignificant. No sin is trivial. Let this sit on your head for a minute. Every sin, past, present, and future, for every follower of Jesus was on his shoulders on the cross. This is why we celebrate Good Friday. No sin is insignificant. No sin is trivial. No sin is small. Again, our Lord is not suggesting physical mutilation, but rather employing this graphic illustration of what it looks like to put sin to death in our lives. Jesus is talking about the, the costly, radical rejection of sin. In all forms, sinful habits, sinful words, sinful actions, sinful heart dispositions. The Apostle Paul picks up on this analogy of slaying sin in Colossians 3, 5. Colossians 3, 5. Therefore, put to death what belongs to your earthly nature, sexual morality, impurity, uh, lust, evil desires, and greed which is idolatry, the Lord Jesus is calling us to intentionally and aggressively cut off sin in our lives. Family, our king is calling us to radically commit to plucking out and chopping off anything that is contrary to his will and his word. The great Puritan writer wrote a, a great book, an amazing book the, called The Mortification of Sin. John Owens uses graphic imagery, says we are to lay our hands upon the throat of these things and not to let go until it stops breathing. A little more recently, John Piper famously said, I love this quote, I hear so many Christians murmuring about their imperfections and their failures and their addictions and their shortcomings, and I see no war, or I see very little war. Murmur, murmur, murmur. Why am I this way? Make war. If you wonder how to make war, go to the manual. Don't just bellyache about your failures. Make war, end quote. 
This is a fight. This is a battle. The sin you slay today will be present in the morning waiting. Scripture never suggests that, 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 uh, that once you deal with something, once you deal with your sin, any particular sin, that's just going to disappear and vanish. Sadly, the reality is we will fight sin. We will make war against sin every single day until we enter glory. You want to know what your sin is like? You ever watch a, a horror movie? You notice how these movies have trilogies and five times and six sequels of uh, Michael Myers and Jason and all these? They kill it, and it comes right. Some way it comes right back. That's your sin. Your sin is Chucky. Your, your sin is Michael Myers. You kill it today, it's going to be present tomorrow. The reality is, again, we have to deal with this every single day of our lives until we enter heaven. We are in a war. We have to cut it off. Again, quoting John Owens in his book, Mortification of Sins, do you mortify or do you put to death? Do you make war daily? Be always at war. Never cease from this work. And then he famously said, be killing sin or it will be killing you. This is active. This is intentional. This is aggressive. This is focused energy. All right, pastor. Make it plain. I don't know how to do this. I've been struggling with fill in the blank for five years. I've been struggling with fill in the blank since I was a teenager. How do I make war? How do I cut it off? First, through confession. We fight our sin first through confession. First John. First John verse uh, one, uh, excuse me, first John chapter one, verse eight. Uh, yeah, verses eight and nine. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from some of our unrighteousness. <laughs> to, to cleanse us of part of our unrighteousness. There's power in the blood. He is faithful and, and righteous to forgive our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. The blood of Jesus is so powerful. When we confess our sin, our high priest Jesus forgives us. And then when the Father sees you, he sees the perfect righteousness of his son. Isn't that amazing? The first step to fighting our sin, the, the first step to chopping it off is to cultivate a lifestyle of confession and repentance. Luther said, it is the uh, uh, whole of the Christian life is repentance. What does this mean? What, is, what does this look like? This doesn't mean for 30 seconds, 45 seconds, saying, Father, forgive me of my sins. Amen. That's not confession. Verbally naming it, Lord, forgive me. I lost my temper. 
Lord, I, 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 was, I was driven by my own desire. I was driven by my own arrogance. Lord, I was dishonest and I just did not tell the truth. Confession, verbally acknowledging your sin and asking the Lord to forgive it. You have to cultivate a life of confession and repentance. But the beautiful thing is, again, Jesus, our high priest, Jesus was the sacrifice, Jesus was the Lamb of God, and Jesus is the high priest. He's faithful to forgive us of our sins once we confess them. Why? Because he was punished for our sins. That sin that you are confessing was already nailed to the cross. He shed his blood already. First, we have to confess our sins. We have to cultivate a a life of confession and repentance. And secondly, we fight sin together. We fight sin together. Galatians uh, chapter 6, verse 1. Galatians 6, verse 1. Brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken in any wrongdoing, you who are spiritual, restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching, uh, watching out for yourself so that you also won't be tempted. I love verse 2. Carry one another's burdens. In this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. First, we fight personally through confession, verbally owning it. Not how my kids do when they mess up something. Daddy, I did something wrong. What did you do? How much money is this going to cost me? I need the details. Verbally confessing and acknowledging your sin, asking the Lord to forgive you. And secondly, we fight sin together. I believe there are believers in this church. There are believers in my church who are losing the fight because they're trying to fight alone. They're fighting in isolation. They've isolated themselves. They've allowed the enemy to isolate them. And now they are losing. Please hear this, my brother or my sister. If sin has you on the ropes, if sin has knocked you down and you can't get back up, reach out to someone. Reach out to someone. You can't fight alone. That is the reason he's given us one another. You need to call in backup. You need help. I'm going to begin to conclude here with verse 49. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt should lose its flavor, how can you season it? Have salt among yourselves and be at peace with one another. Using this, 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 this metaphor of salt, uh, uh, Jesus is reminding believers of their position and their influence in the world around them. While speaking of the effects of sin, the Lord Jesus reminds them that if they lose their saltiness, that if they lose their distinction as belonging to him, the world around them will be affected. Believers, salty distinction 
of belonging to Jesus is compromised when we don't look like Jesus. When we're overtaken with sin, when we're bickering with one another, the world is, has no true, clear gospel witness. Back in the day, there was no refrigeration system, so they, they, they would cover food with salt to, to preserve it from spoiling. Why is this important? What did Jesus say in Matthew 5? You are the salt of the world. The world around us needs our saltiness. They need to see the fact that that believers can disagree on politics, disagree on social issues, and still love one another. They need that saltiness. They, They need to see how we wrestle and fight with sin and get knocked down and get back up and repent and follow Jesus. They need that saltiness. But if we lose it, if we compromise our witness through divisiveness, if we compromise our personal witness through not being able to repent and move forward in grace, people won't be able to clearly see the gospel in our lives. The Lord Jesus desires a strong uh, gospel witness. He desires salty lives so we can use our lives, our words, our gospel witness, our churches to draw lost people to him. However, if we lose this saltiness, those around us cannot taste the goodness of the Savior. In, In conclusion... Sin is serious. Sin has consequences. Sin separates people from God. But Jesus is the solution for our sin. Our Lord vividly speaks in these verses about a place, a place that very often we don't like to talk about. There's two extremes. There are believers who exact, uh, uh, believers that act as if uh, hell does not exist, and there are believers who have a weird uh, obsession and fixation with eternal judgment. But Jesus declares that there is a place of final judgment. There is a place that people will go. I know this word word is not popular, and this is a word we like to uh, ignore, but the Lord Jesus either directly or indirectly referenced hell and eternal damnation and judgment close to 30 times in the gospel. Scripture is abundantly clear. Hell and its flames are waiting for those who live in opposition to God and reject the Savior. The person who desires sin more than the Savior will pay the price in eternity. That's very bad news. That's very bad news. But that's not the only news. The good news is you don't have to go there. Instead of that place, that that evil place, that, that, that place of judgment you can receive the amazing grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who have surrendered to Jesus 
will receive eternal life instead of eternal judgment. This gives us hope. So, so now, now we fight our sin from a place of victory. We, we, we fight our sin, we wrestle, we get knocked down, we get back up from a place of victory because Jesus already won the battle. Those who are in Christ are victors, not victims. We already have the victory because 1 Corinthians 15 says that Jesus has dethroned sin. Jesus has defeated death. Colossians 2 says our sins were nailed to the cross. So now we fight knowing the victory is already won. We can fight our sin because the Son of God was temporarily separated from his Father so we would not have to be separated from him throughout eternity. We can fight our sin because the Lord Jesus Christ experienced hell on the cross to spare us from these flames. This should motivate us. This this should motivate us to fight our sin, and this should motivate us to go and tell everybody that we know about this amazing grace. Father, we ask that even as we continue to worship, that these two realities, the reality of what we were spared from and the reality of the fight that we still have, that the reality of of the, the, the weight of these realities sit on our hearts. Lord, we thank you that you spared us from wrath that we deserve, judgment that we deserve. We walked away from you. We rejected you. We we chose a life without you. Ephesians 2 said we were dead in our sins, but we were made alive in Christ Jesus. We were saved by grace through faith not by works that any man should boast. It was all your grace, you dragging us to yourself. Lord, as we continue to worship, and as we enter into this week, help us to be a people who through your help, through through the empowerment of your Holy Spirit, fight our sin for your glory, for the advance of your kingdom and for our joy. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.